0: Welcome to the Dear Professor series, where college students who take courses online speak their minds. I am your host and e-learning strategist, Dr. Kelly Alston, who is honored to have a conversation with today's guest as she sheds light on her experiences as an online student. I've been teaching online since 2004 and made the tough decision to obtain my PhD through an online program. So I've been both an online instructor and an online student. As a result, I know that some wonderful things are happening within online programs as well as some not so wonderful things going on. The purpose of this series is to help professors and students experience a more fulfilling online learning environment by allowing students to reveal their needs and pet peeves. I hope that this information will support professors in making the necessary changes or adjustments in the design and delivery of their online courses, which should ultimately enhance student success and satisfaction with distance education. So if you're interested in hearing what students have to say about their lived experiences online, please hit that subscribe button and the notification bell so that every Wednesday at 8 p.m. the latest episode will come straight to you. Also, feel free to comment about anything said and ask questions. If you're listening via a podcast platform, be sure to follow and rate the series so that your interest and opinion of the show are made known. Now, if you're like me, this is the time of the year when you start looking for that perfect wall calendar, desk calendar, planner and journal in preparation for the new year. If you are teaching college students in the upcoming semester, a must-have is the Professor's Week in Review, a journal for weekly reflections on the higher ed experience. The journal provides 16 weeks of guided reflection, along with a list of resources and checklists devoted to reflection on self-care, professional development, research interests, and faculty and committee meetings. This journal is a helpful tool for incorporating mindfulness consistently so that you can be fully present in the moment, paying attention to your thoughts and feelings without judgment, thereby improving your mental well-being and enhancing your focus and self-awareness. The journal is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and Vervante.com. So head over to bit.ly, forward slash Dr. Kelly Austin to access the style of journal that you desire. Today, I am so honored to be sharing this time and space with Mrs. Heather Hall. Hi, Heather. Hi there. How are you doing, Miss Alston? I'm doing well. Guess what? You are my 13th and final guest for season one. So I am even more excited than I usually am. I just feel so much gratitude because 13 brilliant individuals from so many walks of life have said yes to spending time with me on this series, and I can't believe that 13 weeks have gone by so fast. So I must say that this final quarter of the year has been the most fulfilling for me. If you had to pick a quarter from 2023, which one would you say was your most fulfilling or rewarding?
1: I would definitely say um, the fall. So I, I don't know if it, it fits squarely into the quarters, but the fall was just really wonderful for me. It was my first fall um, where I felt like I actually had space for a lot of my own visions, um,
0: yeah. and my own
1: goals, and I was actually able to actualize a lot of those this fall, which is um not happened in many years, so it felt like my time was truly my own. Oh, that's
0: exciting. And fall is my favorite season, by the way. <laughs> so, yeah. That's good to know. So, Heather, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um,
1: I'm an artist, and I'm also an advocate for the neurodivergent community and a plant enthusiast. Uh, so I kind of split my three passions Um And that's how kind of how my time is designed now. Uh, I worked in public schools for the last six years in exceptional children departments. Um, And that was really rewarding. But it was time to uh, move on to a more restful and sustainable chapter. And now I am owning my own business uh, as an educational consultant called Triangle Education Advocacy.
0: Oh, Heather, there's so much to talk about here. So let's first talk about something that people may not be familiar with, and that's the neurodivergent community. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Sure. Um. So I have focused m- much of my career on working with kids with autism, which would be included in the neurodivergent community. And that language, I'm not sure of exactly where it originated, but I find it to be the most um representative language of the differences across the community. So, you know, saying special needs is like, uh, I think that that language is kind of ableist in that it it denotes that 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 person has needs that are special or different than other people's needs. And it's like, well, we all have special needs. We all have unique needs. So it's not very descriptive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I find that the language around um the the language of the neurodivergent, uh, community is, you know, they have lots of different terms. One of my favorites that a coworker recently introduced me to who is on the spectrum is neurospicy, um <laughs> which I really like. Dude, <laughs> I like that. And it's kind of like, you know, we always talk about um, you know, especially in education, working from a strength based perspective. And I think mm-hmm. that the idea that someone um Being neurodivergent means that they have special needs or they're lower functioning. All of that language reinforces um, ableism around a certain kind of neurotype. And that's really not the way the future is going.
0: Yeah. So does that connect with your business as an education consultant? Are you doing something totally different?
1: Um, It absolutely does connect. Um, So I'm working with families um, privately now and um, I have a lot of different feelings about that in terms of, uh, equity, but I, um, working with families privately is very intimate and it gives me, um, a lot of opportunity to use my perspective that I've gained through the school system and working with the neurodivergent community in schools, but also in communities and also in clinical settings. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, it's absolutely connected. And I feel like this is just my newest way of being able to support um, a more accessible world for everyone. And um, to really hone in on on specific individual families has given me the opportunities
0: to see a lot of growth. So Heather, did you feel like that was restricted in a way in this public school system?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, um, the public school system, I think is designed for adults who are functioning under the workforce that is required of our capitalist society structure right now. So, um, you know, the school day is not designed for children. It's not the length of time that you're supposed to be there. It's not, I don't think it's appropriate for children or adults really, but also, um, just the amount of time you're supposed to be sitting and passively listening. Um, and not actively doing anything and then getting in trouble for being active for being curious and exploratory. Um, I think it really can break a lot of spirits. And so, you know, I don't think traditional schooling is the only way, but you know, for, for working parents or for people that, um, you know, have incomes that are not going to meet all of their needs to seek outside of the public school system. Um, You know, there's just not always a chance for people to get their needs met the way that they should in um, under those circumstances. And the public schools really have a long way to go in acknowledging that, um, you know, students are going to have special needs. All students are going to have special needs. And how are you going to respond to that in a way that doesn't, you know, um, break their spirits?
0: Yes. And so when you think about your artistry and that activity that you were talking about, not sitting there, did you incorporate that in your classroom when you were in the classroom to kind of help with that?
1: Yeah, I had a lot of looser expectations in that I was doing separate setting or um, what they call in North Carolina resource. Okay. um, EC teaching. So resources where I'm jumping in and out of different classrooms. So I always kind of... um, I mean, maybe who knows if what the reality is. But I, I always sought to be uh, a safe place for students on campus, so a place where they could they could come and get what they needed, um, even if that didn't look as you know academic and rigorous as uh, the expectations that were put on them. Um, so I didn't, you know, like when we had circle time, you know, there were choices to sit on the rug, uh, mm-hmm. but it, I did not require someone to sit down. Uh, I, I don't think everyone is always listening when they're sitting down. And then if they're focused on staying seated, then they're not focusing on the lesson. So I think as, as much movement as you can allow um, students to have, you know, they will, they will meet their own needs when they are given the opportunity. Yes.
0: So Heather, what's your general experience with taking courses online? So um,
1: my experience with taking courses online is, um, Started when I moved to North Carolina during the pandemic. Um, and I began teaching in an EC pre K classroom. Um, so that's like a, an exceptional children pre K classroom. And I was taking online courses for about two and a half years. Um, and I was working toward an extension of my teaching certification to include pre K and early childhood to support my work in the classroom in Durham Public Schools. So that was a licensure requirement. Um, I am certified to teach all of elementary school and exceptional children, but I was not certified to teach in the pre-K age range, which, um, at first I was, I was pretty annoyed that they wouldn't just like give me a pass on that. Right. Um, but then as I started taking the courses and, um, they were informing what I was doing in the classroom day to day, I realized like, I really did need that education to be age appropriate in what I was doing. Um. So before that time, I resisted taking online courses because I was convinced that they were not like the best way for me to get my um, education and that it would be better for me to go in person, um, which meant that I was taking courses where I lived previously in New Orleans um, and hoping to prepare for a grad school program that I ended up not doing as life happens. Um, but I was working part-time and going to classes in person on a community college campus there. And so I was biking to and from campus and I spent a lot of time on campus and I enjoyed that learning style at the time. But with teaching full-time, there's no way I would be able to maintain the travel and the transitions that it would take to take courses while teaching, um, unless they were online.
0: Right. So you had to surrender like I did to the online (laughs) online delivery, the online mode. Exactly. So if you were to rate your experience during those two and a half years, I think you said, was that about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you were to rate that experience with online courses on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being outstanding and one being horrific, what rating would you give and why?
1: Well, I think that the the content and like the actual courses and the course design, I would give like an 8 to a 10. And but the demands on me personally to be able to perform within those courses while teaching full-time, that was awful and I would give that part a 2. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> so that's like, our first dual score, everyone. <laughs> She's, you're holding up two cards right yeah that's well, <laughs> <Yeah. yeah. laughs> you know, like a rubric like you yeah, had yeah you had categories so that's mm-hmm. awesome mm-hmm. all right Heather so like you were saying distance learning can be off-putting if you're used to learning face to face and you prefer the traditional campus environment and so some learners report in research of feeling isolated when they take online courses when you were taking your courses did you ever feel isolated?
1: I did feel isolated, but to be honest, the the only time that I felt really isolated was when I was taking a course that there was no like live meetings at all. Um okay. and and that almost felt like I mean, I learned so much less in that course than I learned in other courses online um because it just kind of felt like this this to-do list, not really a learning opportunity. It was, like, just regurgitate. Like, it was, like, I would just, like, chew something up and spit it out. And That's- it didn't, uh, so it didn't really feel like learning. Um, and that was fairly isolating. But um, the cooperative learning model, I think, is my favorite thing about um, online learning that I experienced in online learning. It just... That it's within my values as um, just like my personal values of, um, you know, it feels like we're only as strong (laughs) as our weakest link in the chain, right? And so everyone needs to develop every skill. So the rotating like roles of um, leadership or um, documentation or facilitating different parts of the learning, it really put the learning opportunity in In the hands of the learners. And within that structure, you're relying on a group to function and to keep things flowing. And that was not isolating. That was relationship building, which I didn't even think was possible in online learning. So that really blew me away.
0: Yeah, so cooperative learning is my favorite mode yeah. of instruction. So did you feel like you were part of a learning community, essentially, because of that?
1: Yes, and it was also... Um, it was really clear <laughs> because we had we had audio, but we didn't have videos on, right. which I think was respectful. But like, it was very clear when someone was flustered, and um, you know, it you have a choice in that moment to either get flustered as well and get mad at the person for not being organized <laughs> or not knowing what to do, right. or you can help them and it, make it, you know, keep keep the wheels turning and keep the you know, keep the car rolling to the finish line together. So, um, I think that that was kind of like a really good opportunity to, to be able to support each other. And there was always like time for reflection in that structure where we were able to recognize each other for supporting, um, whoever needed support in that, in that time.
0: So what would you say, Heather, was the, what you learned, the lesson that you learned the most from having to work with people in that way online? I love
1: the phrase um, "step up, step back." I am—I okay. um, tend to be, I think, purely um, out of anxiety and like <laughs> a very childish need to feel in control. I tend to, to like overshare or overtalk or 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 be the leader or be the one that's like, "Okay, everybody, let's go, let's keep it going." And um, being forced out of those roles and into different roles really gave me an opportunity to kind of learn that, um, you know, being part of a group, it doesn't mean that you come in as like your stereotyped version of what you have to offer, like you have way more to offer than you think. And other people can do things in ways that you never expected that can still work. And it was really helpful for me to see that it was helpful for me um, to see that and be able to like trust that in a variety of places in my life, including work and activism and with family, you know, like, oh, maybe I'll just step back and see how they do it. Like, maybe I can learn something different from them that I never could have come up with on my own.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful because it makes me think about this concept of soft skills and how they say, you know, those are transferable skills um, Mm -hmm. throughout your life. And that sounds like you develop some of those from working cooperatively. Yes. Yeah. That was awesome. Well, Heather, guess what has been a running theme this season? That has been communication. Mm. So students have been talking about its effectiveness, timeliness, the tone of communication, all of that's been addressed. And one of the things that I've heard a lot about is feedback. So we've got to talk about feedback as you are my last guest this season. (laughs) so. Um there's so many there's so many studies that talk about feedback or share research on uh, feedback and they reveal that it can have positive effects in some situations and negative effects in others. Can you think about a time when you received feedback that had a positive effect on you while you were learning online?
1: Yes. Um so this will come directly to you. Um, because we had online courses, you know, um often in the evenings together. And sometimes it's evening and I am like, I don't want to do any more work. I don't want to <laughs> be pushing myself. And right. it was it was my birthday. I didn't want to be in class. I didn't want to be doing that on my birthday. And I was grumpy. And you even though you couldn't see me, you, you were reading my responses and things and you kind of called me out and you were like, excuse me, like, where are you? Why are you not responding? And that was, it was very direct. But at that point, you know, it was April, we had built up a relationship. So, you you know, like being that direct was not (laughs) what you weren't leading with that. Um, so there was a relationship built up before that. And, um, It just kind of pushed me back into like, okay, just because you don't want to do this doesn't mean that you're not going to. Um, (laughs) wow. (laughs) It was like, okay, like I I think of you as very firm and very fair. And your expectations of me did not change based on the fact that I just like was feeling grumpy, you know, and you maintain those expectations and, um, and, like, enthusiasm behind them in a way that kind of helped me reapply myself in that moment. Um, and so I think that's something that um, that you're particularly good at. It's, like, it's a little intimidating, but I always appreciate, like, a mentor or a woman that I can look up to who's a little intimidating that I really want to impress and that, um, you know, no, holds God. me to a high standard. Um, so that really worked <laughs> for me personally. <laughs>
0: Wow, Heather. Guess what? When I was an undergraduate, we were told before we started student teaching to be firm and fair. And you use those exact words. That is amazing. And, you know, I remember sitting there, you know, I was like 20 years old. And I remember um, our supervisor, she was saying, fair does not mean equal. And I had never thought about that before. And so she gave us this example. She was like, if Johnny needs to sit at the front of the room because, you know, he needs eye contact, he needs that support, then it's not unfair that Susie's not sitting at the front of the room because she doesn't need that. You know, and so you don't, when we get, sometimes yeah. we get fair, what was fair and what's equal, we get those things, you know, confused. And that was the first time as a 20 year old I had heard that. So she said, We expect you when you're student teaching to be firm, but we expect you to be fair. So thank you, Heather. That's full circle. Yes. <laughs> okay, so now that everybody knows that you were in my class. <laughs> Okay, now can you tell me of a time not it could be me or anybody that you received some negative feedback, something that had a negative not not that that's the fact was that it was negative, but that it had a negative effect on you.
1: Yeah, and I, I'm I would say that this is true for you know, not just in um, working professionally, but I'm sure that, like, <laughs> many people that have dated feel this way. But um, a lack of communication is communication, right? right? So, so like, if you're not hearing back from someone, it can make you spin out and, and be like, what did I do wrong? Or you can just disengage and be like, well, they don't care, so I don't care. And I feel like that has been the main difficulty with online courses is when I have a professor who's not very communicative and doesn't do much to try to build a relationship with me because, you know, education and, and our work is all about relationship building. And if you don't have a relationship, that student is never going to be vulnerable with you and that means they're not going to learn. So I think that um, the lack of communication is is kind of like the worst feedback of like, okay, good, you passed. Like, OK, well, I don't know if my past was just good enough or if it was exemplary or if I missed a concept like just, you know, that lack of communication is the worst to me.
0: Yeah, because it's like that saying the silence is so loud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's what you yeah. really Think about. All right, Heather. So let's talk about your needs as an online student. Anita's yeah. defined as something that you require because it is essential or very important to you. When you click on your online courses, what do you require or desire to be successful?
1: I need examples. Um, I need examples of work that meets the expectation of that professor. Uh, if the assignment is well-designed and unique, giving me an example is not going to allow me to copy and paste a stock answer. So that's kind of on the professor. If like you giving an example gives away the whole assignment, then your assignment maybe isn't really showing what that individual student learns. Um, So, you know, I think you have to be able to look at examples of other people's work to know what, what you're expected to do um and then also sharing information in multiple mediums this kind of goes back to my values as an advocate for uh, the neurodivergent community because we all have different learning styles and um so presenting the information in at least two formats for all options so that you know like if you're gonna have it written out for someone you also have an audio version or if you're gonna make a video then you also have a transcript of that video um And online courses actually give professors and students more opportunity to make uh, learning accessible um, because of these different mediums that are available to us. Um, And another need would be knowing where to find everything. (laughs) I think that's kind of Mm -hmm. one of the hardest parts, especially when you're getting oriented and you feel overwhelmed. Um, So like predictable structures to the courses, I think like, you know, if you have a professor who um, uses the same learning style in all of their courses, then when you have, when you see that you have that professor for a new course, you know that the material is going to be new, but that the structure is going to be familiar. And I find that as an educator, familiar structure with novel material is the best way to engage a learner and make them feel confident. Um, so I think that, um, Using the same language in the syllabus, classroom lectures, assignments, and file names really helps me to spend less time getting oriented and more time on the
0: content. Oh, Heather, those were so good. (laughs) You the applause. (laughs) Well,
1: I learned it somewhere.
0: Wonderful. I don't even have anything to add to that. That was just no questions asked. Okay. That was so thorough. So let's go on to your pet peeves. Now, a pet peeve is a minor annoyance that an individual finds particularly irritating. And it's something that may bother you more than it bothers other people. And that's absolutely okay. So Heather, what are your pet peeves when it comes to online courses? Um,
1: my biggest pet peeve is an obviously disorganized professor. Okay. Uh, so someone that who, you know, is like, oh, well, um, you can find it here. And then you go to the thing and it's not there. Or look at this link. And then the link is like a 404 not found. Um, or, um, and this is a very nitpicky one, but, um, like recycling old lesson plans or syllabi and not changing the dates. That is... I am I am a very organized student and I have my almost ritualistic ways of preparing for the semester. So, when I get a syllabus, I print the syllabus. I choose a color for the course. I put every assignment and test that's going to happen the entire semester on my calendar in August or whenever the semester starts. And so, if the dates are just 1 or 2 days off, that can mess up my whole calendar. Yes. Um, And so that's something that, um, that bothers me, but yeah, just, um, disorganization, like obvious disorganization, um, can make me feel insecure that the professor is like, is not really paying attention to me or my learning, um, And then that my grade might suffer because of miscommunication. Because if I think the assignment is due on Thursday, because last year, Thursday was the ninth, and this year, Wednesday is the ninth, then did I just get a zero because the syllabus was off by a day? Right. You know, that's that's a big pet peeve for me.
0: So you just had one pet peeve? Yeah, I think I'm going to stick with that. I mean, yeah.
1: Okay. (laughs) My other pet peeves would be around expectations from the district about Mm -hmm. online learning. And I don't think that's really what we're talking about here. But I think, you know, uh, you you were particularly understanding that all of your students had a lot of other things going on in their lives and that they needed to prioritize school, but that you knew that that was never going to be their only priority. Um, And I think that that's kind of... um, something that happens sometimes with um, with any with any particular demand but you know the district um or you know other places that are requiring you to work while you're in school um I just th- I just think that's a totally unsustainable um model of learning and mm-hmm. and living
0: uh, I agree so much that when I taught um I taught 5 years of first and second grade I did what was called looping Mm, And so I I had my first grade, my second grade. I love it too. So I had first grade, second grade, first grade, second grade. My fifth year, I had first grade and I was so sad that I didn't get them for second, but I went to UNCG because I did not want to. I paid off my car. My lease was up in May. So I stayed with a friend to the end of the school year Nice. because I didn't want to be working full time. And going to graduate school. So yeah. when I was at UNCG, they would be like when we have presentations or group work, I would be like the group leader or they would be like, I don't want to go after Kelly because I had to all day. Uh-huh. You know, I had all day to get my presentation yeah. together. <laughs> they were getting off work from teaching, you know, second grade, first grade and then having to come to UNCG. And so it it used to be a running joke. Like, I don't want to go after her because I know she had all day to work on her, you know, whatever she was presenting. So I understand that, too. I I really don't. It's just really difficult being that I I did my PhD while working full time, teaching four courses a semester. It is very demanding and very difficult to really focus on both and give your all to both. Um, So, yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. I also noticed, Heather, that you have very high metacognitive skills because (laughs) you talked about people that have those metacognitive skills um, are those students that, think about thinking, they think about how they learn and what they need, and they are able to schedule their study time and figure out, you know, what their needs yes. are. And I, and yes, and you were able to articulate that very well. So yes, you have very high metacognitive skills.
1: <laughs> well, I think that that, um, I had to develop those because I've kind of, I'm an intrinsic, like B plus student. Uh-huh. And so if I ever want to get an A, I have to work my butt off. And, um, I, I know a lot of people who, you know, they skated through all of high school and some of college where they didn't study. And they just, they, they would show up and they would, you know, put something down on paper and and be fine. And I have never been that kind of learner. And it has set me up as an educator to be much more understanding of students. Uh, being a student is one of the most vulnerable things you will ever do.
0: Yes. Tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: mean. The, it takes so much humility, and then we require this of children all the time, and then we get mad at them when they don't want to do it. And it's like, we, you know, as adults, we, we live in a world of of mastery. You know, right. you do things every day that you know how to do, and they don't know how to do any of this. So, I uh-huh. think we could all extend more compassion to to our little tiny yeah. rebels.
0: Yes, I was talking about that on another episode about how we expect children to be tiny adults. Yes, you know, and it's it's and, and, and we want them to do things that adults can't even do, like conflict resolution. Right. Exactly. We expect yeah. children to figure it out. And adults, we see that all over the TV, all over the news that adults can't resolve conflict. So all over the world, I should say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all, right. all right. So now we've made it to our dear professor segment where you get the opportunity to share your heart with a fellow professor that you have in mind. Imagine there's an online bulletin board with sticky notes or messages from students to professors. What is the note you would leave one of your online college professors, Heather?
1: So I would say that, um, you showed me that the possibility of online learning can come with genuine relationship building, which I did not think was possible. Uh, and I think that is largely due to the cooperative learning model and, um, how, you know, the cooperative learning model makes all of us strong in a variety of areas, because we all need to be able to lead and follow and document our journeys.
0: Oh, wonderful. Some good feedback about (laughs) working with other people. (laughs) Yes. What a great way to end the season. Now, Heather, let me share your my takeaways from what you shared with us today. When you are taking courses online, you need, number one, examples so that you know what you're expected to do. You need uh, for the professor to use multimedia to present the information in at least two formats. Yes. And you need predictable structures, which has to do with the navigation of the course so that you're able to find the things that you need to find. Mm-hmm. And you would suggest that instructors refrain from being disorganized. <laughs> <It's> possible? Yes. <laughs> Is that accurate? Yes.
1: Okay. Good. What? Or has- yeah, visibly disorganized. Like okay, I'm, right. you know, I'm not going to look in your car. I don't need to know. You know how your <laughs> your personal life, all your disorganization, but just maybe try to make sure you're not appearing
0: disorganized. Exactly. Well, Heather, I want to thank you for being our 13th and final guest for season one of the Dear Professor series. You have perfectly sealed the season, Heather.
1: Oh, wonderful. Lucky number 13.
0: Yes, you have been so transparent and so thorough. And I really appreciate that um, because this is a topic that a lot of students don't get to talk about. And that's how they experience higher education online. You know, you get those ratings at the end of the course. But when do you ever really get to say, look, I need to talk to somebody about this class, except for those students that like to complain. I'm not talking about that. But just to, just to kind yeah. of have an open discussion, you know, about your learning experience. So I appreciate you for taking time to do that. And I'm excited about the work that you're doing outside of the classroom now with your business. And yes. how you, yeah, yeah, how you're supporting families. Tell me the name of your business again, Heather. It's Triangle Education Advocacy.
1: And um, you can find that on the website, which is just the the company name com.
0: Okay, fantastic. I just wrote that down. So I wish you well as you focus on your heart's desire. Hope that 2024 is as fulfilling as you said, the fall of 2023 has been. Mm -hmm. Well, yes. Okay, well, thank you all for joining us for season one. It has been such a satisfying and heartwarming experience. If you enjoyed this season, give the gift of sharing the series with seven people. Seven is my favorite number. So share it with seven people that you know. Um, This series is available on all your favorite podcast platforms, including YouTube. So please tell a few friends and tell them to tell a few friends. I look forward to spending time with you in 2024 as we embark on season two of the Dear Professor series, where college students who take courses online speak their minds. May your new year be one of personal growth and discovery, fulfilling adventures, and an overflow of love, peace, joy, and vitality. Bye-bye.